everybody, this is Brent Kellogg, the pastor of Hill Spring Church in Sand Springs, Oklahoma. And this is our podcast. Thanks for taking time to join us today. Our prayer is that this would inspire you, build your faith, and help you take the next step in Christ. Enjoy the message. Hey, if you were here last week and you came back this week, I love you. I just do. Like last week was the hardest message I've ever preached in my life because it felt like this eighth grade math word problem. You know what I'm saying? Today I have good news. You will not have to hear the phrase, I love BK. Like there's none of that. There's no 62 sevens. You know, maybe, maybe one time we'll get into that. So quite frankly, um, we're going to push away a little bit today from eschatology. If you are new today, let me tell you, we've been walking through um, somebody said stumbling through. It's fine. We've been walking our way through the book of Daniel. It's a really hard book to understand. The first half is actually pretty fun. It's pretty good because it's history. It's about Daniel and his life and, and revolved around a season of history for the nation of Israel. But the second half, Daniel keeps having these dreams and these visions about things to come. And he struggles understanding them. Because just imagine if you were Daniel and you lived 600 years before Jesus, 600 B.C., but you and you're, you're getting a revelation about things that would happen at the end of times. How would he describe a tank or an Apache helicopter? How would he describe those type things? And so it, it's just really kind of hard. Daniel's doing his best to take his known world and put language to it. And so we have just kind of really stumbled kind of our way through the book of Daniel. We've been talking about end time events. We've been talking about some history mixed in with that today. We're going to kind of hit pause because Daniel chapter 10, which is where we're going to go, it's a really important chapter, not because of end times, not because of eschatology, not because of history, but it's important for you and I as Christians to understand how this world, how this spiritual world, how this universe really do operate together. And I'm going to be honest with you, today's going to have some weird moments. It just does because it's things that take place outside of the physical realm that we live in. Now, I, one of the things I've learned about myself, because I, I'm a, kind of a sports broadcaster, I, I love sports, I watch sports, I get to sometimes talk on radio about sports, and so I, I get to do all things. And one of the things I really discovered about myself, and it came because of my broadcasting sports, is that I really do enjoy a good close game. One of the hardest games to cover in sports broadcasting, let's just take football, one of the hardest games is when the score is like 52 to 3. That's just really hard. It's hard to find things to be crazy because the game is out of hand, the game is done, and like you, you're just talking about everything under the sun, and well, we think this one wants to, you know, it, it's just really hard. One of the best games is one of those close games. It's a nail-biter, and you don't know how it's going to turn out, but your team wins in the end. Woo! I knew it! You know, I knew somebody's going to make the play. One of the worst games is when they're really, really, really close. It comes down to the wire. And your team loses. It's just heartbreaking. Like you took my heart out of my chest and you stomped on it. And then you tried to shove it back in. You know, those are the worst. Is when you're right there in it and you have a chance to win it. And your team just falls short. And here, here's the deal. God has the ability to win this game of history 52 to 0. He just does. But he's not. He's, he's teaching us how to play this game of life. And he's teaching us how to walk through this and grow through this. And, it, and it's strengthening us. So... Um, show of hands, a little bit of participation here for just a second. How many of you that, that have kids have dropped your son or daughter off at the very cold, sterile prison 
called kindergarten. Anybody ever taken your kid and dropped them off at kindergarten? Like, you know what I'm saying? So Landon was five. Kaylee was a baby. She was a year old. And it was time to take the boy to his first day of kindergarten. And so we had gone to meet the teacher. We had walked through the hallways. We had done the drill. He, he kind of knew what to do. But for a five-year-old, it's, it's pretty, pretty intimidating. New building, new school, and, and all of that. And so the first day of school, we get him in there, and we take him to his desk. And I'm just being encouraging dad. And It's okay, buddy. It's okay. You're going to be all right. Just don't look at me. Don't look at me. It's going to be all right. Don't look at me. And uh, he only knew one other kid in the class, and she wasn't even at his cluster of tables. And so he kind of got up in his desk, and he was being so brave, and I'm being so encouraging. All right, you're going to be all right, buddy. It's, it's going to be okay. You're going to be all right. Um, he was dressed to kill that day. You know why? Because I dressed him. You know what I'm saying? His cold and uncaring, unloving mother, she was on a cruise with her mom and her sisters. And she left me. To take the boy to his first day of kindergarten. And I'm there just, you're going to be all right, buddy. Because if he looked at me and his eyes had that glossy look, you know what I'm talking about? And he had any sense of fear or tears or scare, I was going to grab him by the hand, yank him. We will try this when you were older. You know, <laughs> my child would have probably been the only 10-year-old to go to kindergarten. You know what I'm saying? But he made it. He did it. So sister and I, we, we get to the van. Ah. We get out the door of the classroom, and my eyes start getting all glossy, and I'm starting to tear up, and like I'm, I'm probably running into people because I can't see, but I don't want to act like I'm crying and stuff, and I get to the car, and I get sister all, then it, and I sit down in that seat, and I just, <laughs> I just lose it. My baby is going to kindergarten. My world is over. You know what I'm saying? And then as a parent, you come to appreciate school. Can I get an amen? But it's that first day of kindergarten. And here's the deal. Landon needed to go through that cold, sterile prison of kindergarten. He had to go through that first day to prepare him for the second day. And prepare him to actually graduate kindergarten. And then prepare him for the rest of elementary school. And prepare him for middle school. I'm going to tell you something. I did not cry his first day of high school. Daddy had done grown up, you know what I'm saying? College, we're not talking about that. All right, that's a whole other thing when you go drop him off at school. What in the world does football games and first day of kindergarten have to do with Daniel chapter 10? And here's the deal. I believe that God has wired all of us to just, there's something about us that's intrigued by suspense. There's something about us that's intrigued by drama. Some of us absolutely love drama. Some of us love drama too much. You know what I'm saying? But that's a whole other Sunday. We'll, we'll talk about that. Even God is a creative God. God is a God full of suspense. Because here's the deal. He has the power. He has the ability that he could settle this score of history, one bazillion to zero with one word. He could do it. But he doesn't. He lets you and I go through the first day of kindergarten. He lets you and I go through the second day of kindergarten. And all that is doing is maturing us. He's using the drama and the ups and downs of life to prepare us, to grow us, to honestly make us better children of God. Can I get an amen? So today, we're going to talk a little bit about one of those nail biters. And we're going to talk about because as you read through Daniel sometimes, it's like one of those football games. How's this thing going to turn out? What side's going to win? I don't even understand what's going on. 
And before I want to jump into Daniel chapter 10, I'm going to take one little jaunt into the New Testament. And I'm going to go to Ephesians chapter 6. Because Ephesians chapter 6 is somewhat a New Testament parallel of what we're seeing in Daniel chapter 10. Because I'm going to tell you what we're seeing in Daniel chapter 1. For some of you, you're going to be like, that's kind of weird. And there's parts of Ephesians chapter 6 that Paul wants you and I, and he wanted the Christians of the New Testament, but be prepared because there are some things going on that you and I maybe can't understand, maybe can't explain, and we certainly can't see with our physical eyes. So Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says this verse 10, he says, A final word, be strong in the Lord, in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor, not just the things that are convenient, not just the things you want, but put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. And we're going to talk about him today. We're going to talk about where he came from and how he got here. Okay? We're not fighting, catch this, we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. There are things... Not like you and I. They don't have skin and blood and bones. They're, they're of a different realm. But we're fighting against evil rulers and authorities. You're going to see that today in Daniel chapter 10. And things of the unseen world. My physical eyes cannot see what's going on in the spiritual realm. And only just a few times in Scripture, a few times in Scripture, did God allow for someone to even see into those realms. And Daniel chapter 10 is one of those places where we get a snippet, we get to just kind of look at what's going on and what Paul refers to as the unseen world. Paul gives us knowledge so that you can I understand. Daniel's actually going to experience it. We're fighting against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. We'll talk about that. Paul would then go on to give us a beautiful illustration of putting on this full armor that he referenced. And it's just a beautiful illustration to how you and I as Christians can be prepared to fight this spiritual warfare that's going on in a realm that we cannot see. All right? So, many of you know this. If you've been around for a while, I, I, I talk about this two or three times a year. I believe this is how I've seen Scripture. And maybe you've been taught something different. I, I totally understand. I wouldn't argue with you about this. But I think that there are three different heavens. There's three, you could call them levels to heaven if you want to. The first level of heaven is the level that you and I can see with our physical eyes. We've got the sun, the stars, and the moon, and it's what you might call the atmosphere. All right? It's mentioned throughout Scripture. One of those places is Genesis 22, 7. And he said, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of Heaven. He's not talking about the throne room. He's not talking about where angels be. He's talking about the just when you look up in this big, beautiful, vast sky, all of those twinkle, twinkle little things you can see, the stars of heaven. Jerry and I, we drive a lot. We live out in the country. Somebody asked me, why you drive so much? I said, because I have stars, and they're beautiful, and it's amazing. There's nothing better than just a beautiful summer night, and you can go out and see those stars just shining, just beautiful. That first level of heaven is one that we can see, and it's the atmosphere, all right? The second one is what Paul referenced just a moment ago in Ephesians 6. He says this unseen world. There is a spiritual dominion that we're going to get a glimpse into today. And there's this unseen world. All right? Ephesians 6, 12. And those heaven, Paul uses the word heavenly places. And it describes this realm where things go on, but we can't see it with the physical eye. Okay? And then the third one is the throne room of God. 
Like when we think about Mimi that died and she went on to be with Jesus. She's up there with Jesus. She's at the throne of God right now. That's what we think about, that there's this throne room where God the Father, God the Creator is seated on His throne. Jesus is at the right hand of His Father. And personally, I don't think God's ever left the throne room. Well, preacher, what about in Genesis? When it says that Adam and Eve walked with God in the garden. Now, they did walk with God. They walked with Jesus who is also part of the Trinity. Jesus is the Son of God. He is God. And so I think any time in the Old Testament where someone says, I've seen the face of God, I believe that they saw Jesus. He's God in flesh. All right? So you have the sky. That's the first level of heaven. Then you have this unseen world we're going to look at today. Paul referenced in Ephesians 6. And then 11, Psalm 11, 4 is, you know, the Lord is in the holy temple, the Lord's throne. Is in heaven. You have that third level of heaven, which is the throne room of God. If that makes sense, say amen. amen. Okay. So Daniel chapter 10, verse 1, and, and we're gonna read, I don't know, 12, 13 verses here. And we're just gonna kind of stop and talk a little bit and just kind of read some of these. But if you'll just be patient with me, I'm gonna read for just a second. Daniel chapter 10, verse 1. It says, In the third year of the reign of King Cyrus of Persia. We've already talked about that dude. We talked about him several, several, several weeks ago. But the reason why Daniel includes this, he's giving us the date. Like if you were to write a letter up at the top right-hand corner, you might put, you know, April 13th of whatever year it is. Well, that's what Daniel's doing. It was the third year of the reign of King Cyrus. Well, we know what day that was. This was 536 years before the birth of Jesus, or B.C., 536 B.C. And one other thing, if you're reading through the book of Daniel, this is two years after his last vision. Last week, when we did that complicated eighth grade math problem about the seven sets of seven and 60, you know, and they're like, Ugh. okay. Two years later, Daniel has this vision. I'm going to tell you something. It's a doozy. It's a, it's a doozy. It is the vision to end all visions. Matter of fact, it is so important that what we're about to read is that the enemy does not want this vision to be known to history. He doesn't want it to be known to the nation of Israel. He doesn't want God's people to know it. So there's actually a spiritual battle that takes place that Daniel gets insight to. All right? So it was the third year of the reign of King Cyrus of Persia. Daniel, he also had a Babylonian name, Belshazzar, has another vision. He understood that the vision concerned events that were certain to happen in the future, times of war and great hardship. Okay, so Dan, I don't understand what I'm seeing, but I know that it is things that are going to happen in the end of times, all right? When this vision came to me, I, Daniel, had been in mourning for three whole weeks, three weeks, 21 days, 21 days. So Daniel has this vision, and he'd been in mourning for three whole weeks. All that time, I, ate, I had eaten no rich food, no meat or wine that crossed my lips. Everybody ever, anybody ever talked about the Daniel fast? There's like no meats, no sweets. That's where we get this. As Daniel said, listen, I didn't eat anything sweet or no rich foods. I didn't have any meat. My wine did not cross my lips. I used no fragrant lotions until those three weeks had passed. Okay, verse 4. Then on April 23rd, I was standing on the bank of the great river or the great Tigris River. I looked up and I saw a man dressed in linen clothing with a belt of pure gold around his waist. His body looked like a precious gem. His face flashed like lightning. Keep in mind, Daniel's having a hard time describing what he saw, so he's using the best description he can. It was light. 
it was like. It was like he had lightning come out of his head. You know, his, his eyes like torches, his arms and feet like polished bronze, and his voice roared like. He's just doing his best to describe what he's seeing. Verse 7, only I, Daniel, saw the vision. Now, he wasn't alone at the beginning. He said, there were men that were with me, but they didn't see anything. Then suddenly, terrified, they ran away and hide. So there I was, left alone to see this amazing vision. And my strength left me, so I want you to notice the posture he's about to go through. My face grew deathly pale. I felt very weak. Then I heard a man speak, and when I heard the sound of his voice, I fainted. Like it was so amazing, like a, you know, he's just fainted. And he laid there with his face to the ground. Verse 10, then a hand touched me and he lifted me up, still trembling to my hands and knees. So he was standing there in fear, heard this guy speak, falls face down. Now he's up on his hands and knees. And then the man said to me, Daniel, you're very precious to God. So listen carefully to what I have to say to you. Stand up for I've been sent to you. When he said this to me, I stood up. So finally he's back up. But he's wigged out. He's still trembling. Verse 12. Then he said, don't be afraid, Daniel. Here's what I want you to see. Since the first day you began to pray for understanding. So Daniel had this vision. He didn't understand it, so he begins to pray for it. He said, for three weeks. For three weeks. I fasted and I prayed. and I didn't take a bath. That's kind of weird. Right? He said, but I began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before God, your request has been heard in heaven. Isn't it good to know that the day you start to pray, God hears your prayers up in heaven? Amen, everybody? He says, I have come to answer your prayer. But for 21 days. So if there are seven days in a week, and Daniel said for three weeks, I fasted and prayed and I sought the answer. And then he says, listen, for 21 days, for three weeks, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the good guys, one of the archangels came to help me. And I left him there to deal with that spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now I'm here to explain the vision. That vision you had three weeks ago and you've been fasting and praying about. Now I'm here to explain what will happen to your people in the future. For this vision concerns a time that has yet to come. All right, so let me just kind of recap there. Daniel has a vision. He doesn't understand the vision. So he fasts and he prays. He doesn't eat meats and sweets. He's in this kind of time of mourning. He's fasting to seek answers from God. By the way, the beginning every year. That's why we do 21 days of prayer and fasting. It's not a diet. It's not because you ate too many of Grandma's Christmas cookies. It's 21 days of prayer and fasting. God, I need answers. God, I need wisdom for the things that I'm going to face in this upcoming year. We pull that from Daniel chapter 10. And then Finally, while he's praying, a messenger, an angel, delivers the meaning of the vision. And then Daniel chapter 11 and 12 unpack the meaning of this vision, all right? So chapter 10 is kind of the setup. It's the prelude, and it's, it's a really important message. And you're going to, I'm going to show you that the enemy doesn't want Daniel to know what's going to happen. He doesn't want it to be recorded for history. The enemy might know that this is going to be written down, and the children of Israel might have hope that their God is going to win. And so there's this spiritual battle, spiritual warfare that's going on in that second level of heaven, as Paul described, the unseen world. All right? So let me pause for a second. If you have seven sets of seven and 62 sets of seven and you add another set of seven, you know what you have? A really confusing sermon. Can I get an amen if you were here last week? All right, all right, so 
Let's talk for just a second about what we know about Daniel. And I'm going to warn you, I didn't put this in your outline. I'm not going to leave the slides up there long enough. I just kind of quickly walk through because at the end, this will all tie together of, of what we know about Daniel. But I'm just going to, what, what the book of Daniel describes his character. What do we know about Daniel? Well, we know quite a bit. Daniel chapter 1, verse 4 says that he was strong, healthy, good looking, and well-educated. So you know right there he's not a Texas Longhorn. Can I get an amen? You know what I'm saying? Like he's just out. He's strong, healthy, good-looking, and well-educated. Verse 8, he is determined. Chapter 1, verse 8, it says that Daniel had purposed in his heart. He had determined he was not going to defile himself with the king's food. He was determined. Verse 17, he had an unusual aptitude for learning. means he was smart. Okay, verse 20. He was wisdom, or he had wisdom and had balanced judgment. I mean, he had just good old-fashioned common sense. Chapter 2, verse 14, again, says he had wisdom, but then he had discernment. Some people just can discern situations. They can just discern people and settings. Daniel was one of those people. Then Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 6, and Daniel chapter 9 describe him as a man of prayer. Even when it was against the law, he's like, you can make whatever law you want to. I'm still getting it on my face before my God, and I'm going to pray. Daniel was a man of prayer. Daniel 5, verse 12, he had a sharp mind. It says that he was filled with divine knowledge, much like Solomon. God gave Solomon just almost a supernatural wisdom. Daniel had that same anointing on his life, that there was a knowledge and a wisdom and an understanding that only could come from God. Okay, He could interpret dreams. That's the first half of Daniel. Talk about how... He had this ability to interpret dreams. He could explain riddles and solve difficult problems. Chapter 9, verse 2 described him as a man of the word. He's also brave. He's a man of faith. The list could go on and on and on. I just wanted to go to the book of Daniel and pull out things that described Daniel out of his own book because you're going to see in the end why that's important. All right, so let's go back to Daniel 10. He had this vision. He doesn't understand for 21 days. He's in prayer and fasting and he's grieved by what he sees. Finally, a messenger comes to him. There were some people there. They couldn't see what Daniel saw, but something startled them, so they leave. So Daniel experiences this amazing vision all by himself. Okay? Let's be real for one second. It's weird. It's like if you go to work tomorrow and somebody walks up to you and, man, how was your weekend? Oh, dude. I saw this guy, and he was like, you know, had all this gold around him and stuff like that, and he was talking about end-time things. You'd be like, I don't know what you've got in that Yeti, but I don't want any of it. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, it's weird what we're fixing to read, but there's a reason why it's in the Bible. Amen? All right, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just read two more, two verses. We've already read them, but I'm going to go back to them so we can refresh ourselves on the details because they're, not, they're kind of the meat of this story. All right, verse 12. Then the messenger, he said, Daniel, don't be afraid. Since the first day you began to pray for understanding and you humbled yourself before your God, your request had been heard in heaven. So the day you started praying, God heard you. I'm here. I've come and answered to your prayer. Except for 21 days, a thing happened. For 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia, I'm going to explain what that is. He got in my way. He blocked my way. Then finally, Michael, one of the archangels, we're going to talk about archangels. He came and helped me, and so I was able to get away. He, I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. Okay? So 
Daniel now has received the answer to this really big revelation that he has a hard time understanding. Okay? So, I want to quickly look at the characters that are in this story. The first one character I want to unpack is the speaking angel, or you could just use the word messenger. He is not named in this story. Okay? Now, when you read commentaries and all this, some people are like, well, it could be Gabriel. It could be. Gabriel showed up in the last two chapters, but the problem is Gabriel is always named. There's not a lot of angels that are named in Scripture, but every time we see Gabriel, he's named. And the other part about Gabriel, Gabriel, he only pertains to certain information. Only time we would see Gabriel is when it revolves around Jesus, when it revolves around the announcement of Jesus and the coming of Jesus and when he would be anointed as king. So I don't believe this is Gabriel, but we do see a messenger a speaking angel that's not named. Then we see Michael, and he gave him this title, Michael, one of the archangels, okay? And here's the thing about Michael, M-I-C-H-A, and the last two letters of his name are E-L, L, which represents God. So the word God is actually in his name. His name means who is like God. And it's not a question to be answered. It's what we would call in the English language. It's a rhetorical question. Like, I'm going to ask you a question that has no answer. Because Deuteronomy 33 says, there is no one like our God. There is no one like the God of Israel. So Michael in his name alone is a reminder to all of heavens. There is but one God, the God of Israel. His name is Jehovah. I might look fancy and have lots of bling on me, but don't you confuse me with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the great I am. Amen, everybody? And so there is one God, and I'm not him. All right? Daniel chapter 10, verse 17. This is Daniel speaking. He says, how can someone like me, your servant, how can I even talk to you? And he uses the word, my Lord, because Daniel's confused. What am I ta- who am I talking to? Are you God? It was this divine being, and it was so much so that it says, it, it took my strength, and, and I can hardly breathe. What Daniel was seeing was so powerful, so overwhelming. It just took his breath away. Have you ever seen a video or something that is just like, it just it takes your breath away. That's the scene that Daniel is seeing. Truth be told, he's not even dealing with Michael. He's dealing with the unnamed angel. All right, there's one other sets of angels in this. One is predominant. It's the spirit prince of Persia. But if you're like intrigued by all this and you go read and you keep reading in Daniel chapter 10, you're going to see there will also be a second spirit prince of Greece. Okay? So what, what in the crazy bean burrito wild dream is going on here? All right? So the term prince, you will see it a lot in the chapter of Daniel chapter 10. Even Michael is referred to, and I'll show you that in verse 21 in just a second. So the Hebrew word for prince is is sar, S-A-R. It means chief, it can mean overseer, it can mean person of high rank or stature, or a person of dignity or an official, okay? So let me put verse 21 up on the screen. It says, meanwhile, I will tell you what's written in the book of truth. This is the messenger. Listen, I'm gonna tell you what your dream, what your revelation means. And he said, because no one helps me against these spirit princes. So he's talking about the spirit prince of Persia, the spirit prince of Greece will eventually be mentioned. No one would help me except for Michael. And he says, he's your spirit prince. Okay, so when he says your spirit prince, he's not talking to Daniel. Like Daniel doesn't have an archangel that's assigned to him. Michael 
is an archangel. And part of what we, we understand, part of his responsibility would be he is responsible for all things related to Israel. And some of Israel's leaders, and I'm going to show you that towards the end, that again, you're going to see Michael and his responsibility is just kind of, he in the, he's just a angel that is appointed to all things Israel. Remember in Ephesians 6, we're talking about powers and principalities and rulers of the unseen world. Michael is one of those angels in the unseen rule, the world, and his responsibility is over Israel. There are some demons, bad angels, that they are spirit princes of Persia and they are spirit princes of Greece. And, and, and Daniel hears that there's just kind of this tug of war between one of the bad angels and he's responsible for, for Persia. And then there's one that's Michael, and he's responsible for Israel. I, I know that's confusing. I know that. It's because our eyes can't see it, and so our minds can try to grasp and understand that. Okay? So let's talk about angels for just a moment. I think that's part of what's important in the theology of Daniel chapter 10. Okay? There are good angels. Daniel is one of them. Throughout Scripture, you'll see many unnamed angels, and they're referred to as angel of the Lord. Okay? There is a book, if you love all things theology, it is Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. And it is about that thick. I mean, it is, it is a big, thick book. Okay, And really, it's just kind of the basics of, of the, the study of God, that scripture. And one of the things that Wayne says when describing angels, because even if you get into denominations, you get into different things, people treat angels differently. So let's just talk about angels. This is what Grudem says. He says, angels are created. I'll explain that. They're spiritual beings. They have moral judgment, high intelligence, and they have without physical bodies. Let's just go thing by thing. All right? They are created. They are not eternal. Meaning God, just like he spoke this universe into existence, he also created them. They have not always been. In the beginning, there was God. Like God was not created. God has always been. The angels were not there. The angels were not in the beginning. God created them. So they are not eternal. God created the angels. And then he goes on to say that they are spiritual beings. They do not have physical bodies. Remember what Paul said, Ephesians 6, 12? We fight not against flesh and blood. They don't have flesh and blood like you and I. They don't have bones. They're not, we can't see them, okay? And so angels fit into that category. Under normal physical circumstances, you and I cannot see into that unseen world. Just a few times in Scripture, like Daniel chapter 10 and Luke chapter 1, does God allow for individuals to just have this brief moment where they can see into the spiritual realm and see into that unseen world and get a glimpse of what is going on? One other thing that described angels, it says they are capable of moral Judgment. Let me put it to you this way. They can make right and wrong decisions. They're capable of moral decisions. They're capable of making good choices and bad choices. All right? So before Adam and Eve ever came along, God had created the angels. And there was one. I'm going to give you his name here in just a second. One, we think he was one of the archangels. He got to looking at himself and he goes, boy, I sure am good looking. And he looked at God and he's like, I, if anything he can do, I think I can do it better. And, and the Bible says that he tried to set his throne above God and he rebelled. And God said, you are fired. You're out of here. Like, go. 
And Scripture tells us that a third of those created angels went with him. They rebelled with him. So there was this great rebellion in the unseen world. And so Lucifer and a third of those fallen angels were kicked out. Okay? So those fallen angels are what we refer to as demons. They are angelic beings. They're just bad. They're naughty. They're not on the good list for Christmas. All right? So Scripture only gives us the name of four angels. I want to walk you through those four angels. Okay, most of the time in Scripture when there's an angel, it just says an angel of the Lord or a messenger of the Lord. But four times in Scripture, Daniel 10 is one of them, four times do we get the name of an angel. The first one is the one I just described for you, the fallen angel, Lucifer. We think he was part of the hierarchy. We think he was one of the archangels. And Ezekiel chapter 28 tells the story of his rebellion. Like, I'm going to do better than him. God's like, get, get out. And a third of the angels rebel with him, okay? And that's where we get the demons that come from. So by the way, if you do the math, if only a third of the angels rebelled with him, then God's team has two-thirds. The enemy only has one-third. We've already got them licked. Amen, everybody? Okay, so Lucifer, he is named. There is another bad angel that is named only once in Scripture in the book of Revelation, chapter 9. Everybody still with me? Because I can go back to 62 sets of seven. Nope, okay. So there's another bad angel only mentioned one time in the book of Revelation. And his name is Abaddon, okay? Or the Greek would also call him Apollyon. And he's a bad angel because he is actually like the death angel of the place of destruction or the abyss, all right? And so he is, and he's only named once in Scripture, but it's the angel Abaddon, all right? Then you see Gabriel, and we've talked about Gabriel the last couple of weeks because he's mentioned in the book of Daniel. He's also mentioned in Luke chapter 1. He's in the hierarchy. He's one of the top three angels, okay? Most of the time when, Dan, when Gabriel is talking, he's talking about Jesus. He's talking about the Messiah. He's delivering the news about Jesus. That's why I personally don't think this is him in Daniel chapter 10. It's just a messenger of the Lord. It's just an angel of the Lord. It's not Gabriel, all right? But then there is an archangel that is mentioned in Daniel chapter 10, and we've already talked about him, Michael. His name means who is like the Lord. Okay. He's given responsibility that have to do over all things Israel. Okay. Do you guys want to hear a cool story about Michael? Okay. Awesome. Thank you. We'll, we'll get to it. All right. So, this has absolutely nothing to do with the book of Daniel. It just has to do with Michael and while we're talking about angels. I've, I find it interesting. I find it interesting. My study, I'm like, oh, okay. So I'm going to, you don't have to turn there. I'm going to take you to the book of Deuteronomy. Moses is done. D-U-N, done, okay? He's going to die, and, and this is talking about Moses' funeral, okay? So let me show this to you. It's in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 34. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, is done. He died there in the land of Moab, just as the Lord had said. Verse 6, the Lord buried him in a valley near Beth Peor in Moab, but to this day, nobody knows. Like, there's no headstone. There's no monument. Nobody knew. Like, Moses died alone. And it says that the Lord was responsible. The Lord took care of his burial. Okay? Why? Why, why couldn't the children, he read, why, why couldn't they have a big funeral and mourn? And, and they did mourn. But why, why couldn't they bury him? And I, I think we're going to discover that in verse 10 through 12. Verse 10, describing Moses says, There's never been another prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face 
to faith. The Lord sent him to perform all the miraculous signs and wonders in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh and all of his servants in the entire land. With mighty power, Moses performed terrifying acts in the sight of all, the sight of, all of Israel. What a dude. You know what I'm saying? This is a guy, very impressive, would go down as the greatest prophet. There had never been another prophet in Israel like Moses. Even another religion, even Islam, recognizes Moses as a great prophet. Okay? So let me take you to the New Testament. One just half a verse. Just a little bitty, just random half a verse that gives us insight to why the Lord wanted to bury Moses and not let anybody else be responsible for it. I mean, the book of Jude, it only has one chapter. And I'm in the ninth verse. And you don't have to turn there. I'll just pop it up on the scene, screen for you. Okay, Jude chapter 1, verse 9. But even Michael, okay, so here's Michael makes an appearance. One of the mightiest of the angels, or archangels, he didn't dare accuse the devil of blasphemy. He just simply said, may the Lord rebuke you. And catch this. This, when did that happen? This took place when Michael was arguing with the devil, with Lucifer, about Moses' body. Why would Michael have an argument or even a battle over Moses' body? That's weird. Here's what I think. I think the children of Israel were always looking for something to worship. When Moses was up on the mountain, they made a golden calf. When the children of Israel went into the, the promised land, they didn't destroy all of their gods. The next thing you know, they're serving their gods. Or they would make wooden idols or metal idols. They were always looking for someone, something to serve. And if the bones of Moses had been found for certain, who was the greatest prophet of all Israel, the high likelihood is that Israel would have ended up worshiping him and worshiping those bones and treated him like a god. What's Michael's name? Who is like the Lord? No one. It's a rhetorical question. So even someone as high of angelic in the pecking order, because there's this order of angels, and someone like Michael, who's one of the top three, is like, nope, can't worship me. Nope. As a matter of fact, Satan, I know you want these bones so that there'll be a distraction to Israel. You, you think if you can get these bones and, and the children of Israel can find them, that they won't worship God, they'll worship these bones. Nope, we're going to have a spiritual battle over this, and Michael won the day. Because Satan knew that if he could get those bones and the children of Israel have their hands on their bones, they would end up making those bones to be an idol, and they would worship them. And so there's this weird spiritual battle that takes place, and Jude chapter 9, verse 1, tells us about it. All right? So remember that list about Daniel, that he was smart, good-looking, discernment. Remember that list? Here's why that's important. God handpicked, he really handpicked two people to give us insight into spiritual warfare. One was Paul in the New Testament, and one was Daniel. And the reason why Daniel was smart and Daniel had discernment and was well-balanced is because God knew he could trust Daniel, that Daniel wasn't going to turn this into a cult that worshipped angels. He knew that, that Daniel was going to record the history to the best of his ability under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and that Daniel was not going to take all of this experience and create his own religion. God handpicked him to reveal some pretty 
big things to him because he knew he could spiritually trust him because he knew Daniel would use his mind and not lose his mind, okay? He knew Daniel wouldn't bow down and worship an angel. He knew that Daniel wouldn't start a cult. He knew Daniel wouldn't make the angels the point of worship, but that he would, just like Michael's name says, I'm going to reflect my glory to God. So God chose a man that was balanced and wise, and God revealed to Daniel, hey, there's an unseen world around here, and if you're not careful, it can kind of start to wig you out. It can kind of start to scare you, and you can see a demon under every rock, and next thing you know, you got people that are worshiping and praying to angels, and God's like, no, 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 there is nobody except Jehovah Jireh. There is nobody but Jehovah who is a God and God alone. Can I get an amen? So God could end all this with one word. He could like a hundred Brazilian to zero. With one word, God could end this. He could end all of this. But the battle that's raging is preparing you and I. It's growing you. It's maturing you and I for the second day of kindergarten and kindergarten graduation and middle school and to someday go off to college. We are going through this drama and these trials and these struggles because God is using them to make us better sons and daughters of the king. Amen, everybody? He's preparing you and I to reign and rule with Christ forever. And he's saying, don't get distracted. Don't get caught up because things can get weird or unusual. Don't worship people like Moses and don't worship angels and don't get caught up in the cult stuff. Keep a smart mind. Who is like the Lord? No one. No one is like our God. And the point of Daniel chapter 10 was to show you how important Daniel chapter 11 and 12 are coming is because the devil did everything he could to stop that message from making it to Daniel, ultimately making it to the children of Israel, ultimately making it to the ages. He fought the law and he lost. You know what I'm saying? The devil lost. God's messenger won. And you and I next week are going to unpack the rest of the book of Daniel how this all ends. Can I get an amen? amen? Glad you came to church today. Your brain don't hurt like it did last week, does it? I'm glad you're here too. Listen, 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 listen. Daniel's been really hard. But it's important. It's a burden that's in my soul. It's a burden that's in my spirit that we as sons and daughters of God have got to know the word of God. Young people, you might go off to college and get a professor up there and start talking to you about worshiping angels. And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I remember one really boring Sunday morning. Pastor Brent says, we don't worship angels. We just worship our God and him alone. Amen, everybody? Or you might wind up with somebody and fall in love with somebody, but they worship a person. You go, no, 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 no. That's not what my Bible, Daniel chapter 10 is really weird, but one of the things I can take away from that is I just worship God and Him alone. It's important that you and I have the Word of God in us so that we can, what Ephesians 6 says, we can stand firm in this day that we live. Amen, everybody? God, we love you. Lord, it's hard, but you trusted Daniel. And you trusted Paul. And you're trusting us to be men and women of the word. Lord, you've given us a mind. And we're expanding it and we're growing it in the knowledge and the things and the word of God. And Lord, we thank you for the, the fruit it's bearing in our life. It may not feel like anything today, but there's a day coming, Lord, when I'm going to be glad that I drilled into just the theology about you and your message that you have 
for all of history. It's in the beautiful, matchless name of Jesus we pray. And everybody says a big amen. Come on. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there's a couple of things I want to invite you to do. First, hit the subscribe button. That way, you won't miss a single episode. Secondly, if this message has impacted you and you would like to help us reach others, visit our website at hillspring.tv and hit the Give Now button so that we can take this message around the globe. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.